Well, hello again, or if this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. You are listening to Human Becoming, a podcast about healing this journey called life, awakening to the experience that is ourselves, and how we can walk the journey together. I'm thinking of switching up how I describe this podcast with every episode because I want it to encompass so much, but most centrally, it will always come back to the process of becoming human. I didn't explain in the first episode why I chose this podcast name. Human becoming? Aren't we born human? Are we human beings? What do any of these words or phrases mean? Well, I believe that we become human, that our humanity is not something that we are born into, but rather something that we nurture, something that arises in our relationships to others, and something that is an ongoing, lifelong process. I hope that when I die, I will be able to say that I have become human. I'm greatly influenced by the philosophy of Ubuntu. And I know, if you're South African, you might roll your eyes because the concept of Ubuntu has become so whitewashed. But I think that in this world of disconnection, of violent systems like capitalism and ongoing violent processes like colonialism, Ubuntu is quite radical. For my non-South Africans, Ubuntu is often thought of as the philosophy that we are because of others. This is a very washed-down, one-liner version of a more complex and full worldview, but it will do for this episode. I like that the framing of humanity in Ubuntu reflects our humanity as something that is co-constitutive, that is made and fostered, that depends on our ongoing good relations to others, human and non-human. And that is partly the inspiration for this name, Human Becoming. I hope to take you along on the journey of my becoming, and I hope that the stories that I share will give you greater insight into yours. But now, without further babble, let's get into today's episode. Last week, we talked about my mental health journey, my various diagnoses of anxiety, depression, and bipolar, and how living sans medication has brought me closer to myself. But this wasn't an easy journey, and it was made even harder when I looked for the words to understand my experience and found that all of the available mental health literature positions bipolar disorder as a chemical imbalance in the brain— As I grappled with my diagnosis and with the experiences that I was having as a result, I wondered if there couldn't be something more than the convenient brain disease model explanation. I started to ask if there might be other ways to understand what I was going through. I understood the hardships of the diagnosis, but I thought, could there be gifts too? How have people around the world understood the phenomena that I'm experiencing, and what might these interpretations offer me that psychiatrists couldn't? As a South African of Pedi lineage, I wondered what insights my own culture and history might offer. How might my ancestors have understood this phenomenon? One of my favorite thinkers and writers, Beo Akumolafe, once said that good questions transcend the answers we give them, and I would agree. The questions that we ask are often much greater and more valuable than the answers we may or may not find. But in this episode, I will discuss some of the answers that I did come to, or rather, some of the roads that these questions led me down.
I will share what I have learned along the way, what some people I admire have said, and I hope that this allows you to think differently about the categories that we so often take for granted, that we perceive as fixed, such as mental illness, and might make you curious about what else in the world you can look at through a different lens. As a note to new listeners, I have recorded this podcast series so that each episode builds on the last one. Now, you can definitely listen to this episode, but if you haven't listened to the one that comes before it, I would recommend that you either stop now and go back one, or plan to revisit it later. There are themes and questions that run throughout all the episodes, and they'll make the most sense to you if you listen to the episodes in the order that I intended. But that is just my suggestion. (laughs) Let's get into today's episode. Throughout this podcast series, I am going to tell stories about my life and my experiences, And I hope that you can start to piece the puzzle pieces together in ways that complicate what you previously thought to be true about this story. I do this not because I want to confuse you with a non-linear storyline that looks a bit like a Jeremy Baramy from The Good Place. Once again, side note, if you haven't watched The Good Place and this reference totally flew over your head, now would be a good time to pause the podcast and Google Jeremy Baramy The Good Place. You'll have a visual reference for what I mean. But back to where I was. I do this not because I want to confuse you, but because this is how I started to piece the story together. And I may yet find pieces that complicate my self-narrative or how I understand my journey, but that's life, right? We have experiences, we create a narrative, and then we learn additional new information that makes us look at the past and what we thought we knew differently. Hopefully, you can reflect on aspects of my story with the new pieces of evidence in mind and create your own narrative of what happened, or maybe you'll see connecting threads that I missed. If anything, I hope that this narrative telling allows you to look at your story, the good, the bad, the ugly, the parts of the narrative that you might have overlooked or taken for granted, the pieces of information or threads that you might not have seen the first time so that you may start to weave these disparate moments together. It is the July of 2019. If you listened to the previous podcast episode, you know that this was a wonderful summer. A summer filled with joy and exploration, and a summer where I made a big step in a move towards healing my relationship with my family, my culture, and my ancestors. I visited Asangoma for the first time. Now, if you are South African, you know what I'm talking about, but if you're not, I'll give you a quick intro to South Africa crash course. Sangomas are South African traditional healers. While there are different kinds of Sangomas who have different methods and healing modalities, they work in the realm of the ancestors and are able to communicate with this realm through various mediums such as divination or other forms of communication with spirit. To many South Africans and many Africans, the ancestors play an important part in our daily lives. Ancestors, those from your lineage who have transitioned from being enfleshed to other modes of being, are often viewed as being alive in the same way that we are, but they are alive in a different place. 
Regardless, they have the ability to affect our lives, for better or for worse, and it is important to maintain a relationship with them as you would with the living, or, as I call us, the enfleshed. I, however, didn't grow up having this relationship with my ancestors. I grew up with my mother, who is American, and my father was, to put it kindly, absent. <laughs> and so was he's, my, family. My family is Pedi, but I didn't grow up with a strong sense of belonging or connection to my culture or to my people because of their absence. But I wanted to change this. I wanted to build a relationship with my ancestors, subject of an upcoming episode, so I found a Sangoma and decided to consult with her to see what the ancestors needed from me in order to connect with them more deeply. I remember being in the consultation room, a bundle of nerves, wondering what was going to happen. I remember my dismay and heartbreak when my suspicions were confirmed. My ancestors didn't know who I was. They didn't know me. They had no connection to me because... We weren't properly introduced, and just like that cousin or relative that you meet for the first time as an adult and you're told you're supposed to know, you just don't. Human relationships and ancestral relationships are very similar. They take building and maintenance work to thrive. Blood doesn't form deep family bonds. It's the care and the love and the sacrifice and the work, <laughs> frankly, that goes into making those relationships good. I hadn't done that work with my ancestors yet, and this was the beginning of that process. But still, you can imagine the inner dialogue happening at this point. No one gives you a how-to-connect-with-your-ancestors guide when you pop out the womb, and there was a part of me that kind of did just expect them to show up. <laughs> So now my little inner spinning dialogue is going, not only has my family abandoned me, but the ancestors too? Hmm. <laughs> but I wanted to repair that wound, and I was determined, so I followed the instructions that the Sangoma gave me to begin creating my ancestral practice, building an altar, communicating to the ancestors on a daily basis, giving them offerings, and asking them to take their place in my life, asking them to get to know me so that I could in turn get to know them. But this process also meant reaching out to the living, namely my father. I wanted to visit my grandparents' grave for the first time since my grandfather's passing, and for only the second time in my life, so my dad and I drove up to Molechi together. I was able to ask questions about my family that I had never gotten answers to, and it was really important, but it also secretly, not so secretly, opened up a wound that I thought I had sewed up a long time ago in therapy. When the summer ended, I returned to the United States and did something that I never thought I'd do, mostly out of fear. I took psilocybin mushrooms for the first time. These little angels and my journey with them are the subject of the next episode. As the effects of the psilocybin were settling in and I started to trip, I was so honored to be visited by my ancestors, who were celebrating with me, welcoming me into their arms and embracing me. It felt amazing. 
it felt like I was really starting to connect to parts of myself that I thought I would never know or connect to. My heritage, my lineages, my people. I think that drive and hunger for connection, for a moment of being in their presence and feeling their love, made me go a little overboard. And I started taking the mushrooms more frequently, read more frequently than I should have, so that I could get back to that place of love and connection. Now, flash forward in time. When I had been admitted to the psychiatric ward, I started to meditate on the experiences that I was having leading up to my hospitalization. On the one hand, I knew that I was in a lot of pain. The terror and self-judgment and escapism that followed my assault in Boston was taking a toll on my mental health. Here, I am reminded of the beautiful Rumi quote, commonly misattributed to Leonard Cohen, that reads, The wound is the place where the light gets in. But I didn't feel like there was just one wound. I sensed that I was shattering into small, fragmented pieces, and I was terrified that I wouldn't ever be the same again, that I wouldn't be whole again. And here's where future me, or present me, I don't know, time is weird and relative, can chime in and tell you, dear listener, that I was right. I would not be the same again. On the flip side of this coin, of the pain that I was experiencing, there was a deep sense of connection to the world in a way that I had never experienced before. I felt so at one with everything, so connected to the universe, to my ancestors, to the world of dreams, which culturally is very important, but I felt like I needed to keep floating higher and higher to reach these states of connection. Until I crashed. Icarus flew far too close to the sun. But despite seeing and knowing where I erred, I did have a sense that there was something greater happening within and around me, to me. But I didn't have the language or the knowledge to mediate the intensity of these experiences. I started to think about this intersection between spiritual sickness and diagnosed mental illness. Oftentimes, when Sangomas receive their calling to be a Sangoma, they experience a sickness that can often be misdiagnosed as depression, bipolar, anxiety, or a host of other diseases. I didn't necessarily think that this was my calling to become a Sangoma, but I utilized this lens a lot to look at how a singular phenomena could be interpreted so differently by different people with different lived experiences and using different lenses. It was endlessly fascinating to me then, and still is now, that one phenomena, one thing, could be interpreted so differently differently, as a gift or a calling to one and a pathology or an illness to another. And I wasn't the only person fascinated by this intersection. I started to look for people who had written about this intersection between mental illness diagnoses and spiritual troubles, for lack of a better word. I remember reading an interview with Malidoma Some, a healer from the Dogara tribe of Burkina Faso. 
In this interview, he discusses arriving in the United States in the 1980s and seeing one of his classmates hospitalized in a psychiatric institution. When he went to visit him, he recalls, I was so shocked. That was the first time I was brought face to face with what is done here to people exhibiting the same symptoms I've seen in my village. As he looked around the stark ward at the patients, some in straitjackets, some zoned out on medication, others screaming, he observed to himself, so this is how the healers who are attempting to be born are treated in this culture. What a loss. What a loss that a person who is finally being aligned with a power from the other world is just being wasted. I would raise this idea with psychiatrists that I was seeing at the time, that maybe there was something more to what I was experiencing. In the cliched woo-woo terms, I wondered if this was bipolar or a spiritual awakening of sorts. Of course, to the psychiatrist that I was seeing, they believed these thoughts of spiritual connection were part of my delusion and psychosis, and honestly, at times I believed them. But as I started to scour the internet and search the forums of Reddit as one who is in a dire predicament tends to do, I realized how many other people had similar experiences. How many people experienced major mental health crises that precipitated a huge shift in their lives? How many people felt more connected to the world, to God, to a universal oneness in episodes of mania? Now, the psychiatrists and you might be thinking, you're just crazy. <laughs> and that's the difficult part, right? I touched on this in the last episode, but how do you make decisions about your health and your wellness when you're being told that those decisions can't be trusted because they're part of a major, air quotes, bipolar self, this more sinister and deluded part of you? But beyond the potential spiritual dimensions of illness, I also started to think about how society creates madness and insanity. And I started to actively identify with these categories of being. These terms are often pejoratively used, but for me they became such an important way of understanding myself, and they served as an important distinction between me and the other, the insane and the sane. But I started to see that insanity is one of the most human responses to living in a world as painful as ours. I started to look around and see the sicknesses, the illnesses of our society. Capitalism, colonialism, inequality, the constructions of class, gender, and whiteness. These are all diseases in our society. Symptoms may include false sense of separateness from others, ego on overdrive, superiority complexes, social disconnection. The list can go on. <laughs> And for those of us most negatively impacted by these systems, depression, anxiety, unprocessed grief that manifests as physical illness in the body, and so, so much more, I could see with the utmost clarity how disconnected we have all become from our humanity, from our ability to care for one another, to help one another, to love one another, and to show up for one another. And beyond that, our ability to show up and see the world around us, seeing our relatives and animals and plants and trees in the waters of this earth and not killing them and, by extension, ourselves. 
We're more disconnected from each other than ever before, and our sense of community has been eroded. We see suffering every day, and we have all the tools to alleviate it, to create a better world for us all, and yet we don't, because we don't see the other as a part of us, as a part of a larger whole. We've lost our sense of Ubuntu, that I am because we are, a sense that we cannot separate ourselves from the other, the other, major air quotes, and that their suffering is ours. In a way that I hadn't before, I was woken up to the reality of an incredibly wounded world. While we often regard the categories that we've used to define mental illness in the 21st century as fixed, as inherent, we forget that there are categories of madness or insanity that have come and gone in our history. A popular example is hysteria, which at one point was defined as a mental illness. With hindsight, we understand that hysteria really resulted from women's oppressed position in society. Categories of mental illness have come and gone throughout our recent human history, and many of these illnesses are now understood as having arisen in a context due to a certain set of social conditions. However, as we speak of mental illness in the 21st century, we rarely discuss how, and get prepared for the non-exhaustive list, A. Living on this wounded planet, B. Being desensitized to the suffering of others, C. Living in the midst of capitalism, the greatest levels of inequality that we've experienced as a species, D. Carrying the generational wounds of colonialism and oppressive systems and structures, I think we're at E. And living with the evidence of our extinction every day could cause someone to go justifiably mad. Now, this is not to make a case or an argument for the root of all dis-ease to be seen as one thing, be it brain chemistry or spiritual interference or social madness or other. People who have been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and other major air quotes disorders will feel vastly different about their diagnoses, what the cause of them is, and some might feel comforted by the brain disease model, just as others feel comforted with alternative explanations. I do not provide these thoughts to suggest that there is a singular lens to understand human dis-ease, but rather to show that there are a multitude— and any one model used in isolation is far too limiting. I speak about this in the first episode of the podcast, but this is also what cemented my feeling that we should not see mental illness as the one fixed and true category, but rather that we should recenter the phenomena that someone is experiencing and look for the lens that might fit their experience best. Mental illness is one such lens, but it is only one. For me, it was a combination of various lenses that helped me to understand my experiences. Trauma played a large role in my hospitalization, and there was a lot that I needed to heal from there. The state of society played a huge role in my descent into madness, but this descent also made me reawaken to all the work that needs to be done for this world and everyone who lives in it to heal. The ancestral lens was also very important. When I returned home from the United States and was able to consult with the Sangoma, my suspicions were confirmed. 
I was being offered spiritual gifts by my ancestors, but there was also some unwellness in the lineage that was affecting me deeply. And learning to set boundaries with my ancestors around contact, as well as learning to help them heal from their wounds, helped me to heal mine in turn. But for me, I needed to bring all these lenses together. There wasn't just one explanation, and I might find more along the way. But I hope that if you are having frightening or liberating experiences of waking up to the experience that is you, this might allow you to think about things differently. And if you're looking for affirmation that it is possible for your healing to be about so much more than just a pill, I hope that this has been that for you. I wish you all the best on your journey and that you will find what you are seeking. We have now made it to the end of the second episode of the podcast. Thank you for joining me again. Next week, I'll be talking about my relationship with psilocybin mushrooms or magic mushrooms, the healing that I've received from them and the lessons that they've taught me. I hope you'll tune in. If you want to stay in the loop, then hit that subscribe button. And if you know of someone that might benefit from listening to this podcast, send it their way. I look forward to being here with you again next week. Until then, take care.